As you heard, I'm Pete Stearns, and I'm our middle school director, um, and I am so blessed and privileged to have an opportunity to share with you this morning and to serve alongside you this morning. Last week, I took 115 kids to Camp Cow, which is our middle school trip up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, and one of our middle schoolers characterized it best in our weekend session by saying, my favorite two parts of Camp Cow were paintball and worship because I cried during both of them. He summed it up well because we had a lot of fun playing in the sun, playing paintball, challenging ourselves on the high ropes courses, going down water slides and enjoying the lake. But we also had impactful times of worship and growth together as a group. We had speakers come in and talk to us about what it means to recognize that we are enough in Christ and that Christ sacrificed himself to us so that we could realize that potential. I think that is a profound truth, and I think one that plays out well here in our adult world as well. So before we go into that, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much just for this chance to be here today. Lord, we ask that you would just enter this room, and Lord, that we would hear from you. Lord, open our hearts open our minds, and allow us to be receptive of your word. Lord, we pray that nothing would get in the way of what you have to say to us today. In your name, amen. So four months ago, my wife and I were trying to plan a little vacation before the chaos of the summer began. And so our friends and family were telling us a few different places to go. We had recommendations in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Indiana, But none of those seemed to be good fits for what we were looking to do. And we didn't find the right thing until I was sitting watching TV and I was hooked by a short commercial. One that I am sure many of you have seen, but if you haven't, I'm going to let us take a sneak peek at it. Shooting the Rapids. The rustle of fallen leaves were ghosts in the graveyard, and the sandbox became the deep craters we walked on the moon. Our backyard is still here, promising more outdoor adventure than ever before. A 19 million acre playground that's pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. So I'm sure many of you guys have seen this campaign, but when I saw this commercial, I was struck by the beautiful sand dunes, the thick forests, and the calm waters, and I decided that this is where we were going to go. And my wife and I, we planned a great trip, and we went around Lake Michigan and enjoyed a lot of that nature there. But I wasn't the only one. In fact, studies show that 3.4 million tourists went to Michigan last year as a direct result of this advertising campaign. It's said to have brought in $1.1 billion in revenue. And I don't think it's by accident. Whether the guys at Pure Michigan knew it or not, they were tapping into a foundational truth for us as human beings and a foundational truth for us as Christians as well. God created a perfect earth. And he created one that points back to him as a creator. And when we see that in its purest form, something inside of us says that I want to go, 
that I need to relax, that I need to take a pause and sit before this God. Whether that's the actual thought we're having or just what's inside, I'm not sure. But I know that in Genesis, God created an earth. And he didn't just splash water here and pull up mountains there. He didn't accidentally throw together the nervous system and our hearts. He made each thing with a purpose. And that purpose was to bring glory to a creator. So that when we look upon creation, we recognize the creator that made it. And on top of all of that, he created us to steward over that creation. He created us to use that creation to point others to him, our good and powerful God. Unfortunately, as many of you know, in Genesis 3, that order got shifted around a little bit. It's a familiar story about Adam and Eve, and Eve is in the garden, and a serpent comes to her. And the serpent says to her, now Eve, can you not eat any of the fruit in this garden? And Eve responds, oh, no, 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 we can eat all the fruit in the garden except for that one tree over there. And the serpent pauses for a moment, and he says, hmm, that's interesting because that tree has the best fruit. That tree has the most delicious fruit. In fact, that fruit will make you like God. And suddenly, for the first time, a feeling of discontent entered this world. Suddenly, God's creation, meant to point back to him, felt like they didn't have enough. Felt like they were sold short. And so Eve took the fruit, and she took a bite out of it. And she handed it to her husband, Adam, who also took a bite. And immediately, in response to that discontent, they hid themselves in shame from God, their creator. So these stewards that were meant to point all things back to a creator were now hiding from the very Lord that they were serving, which rendered them unable to glorify God. Now, God at this point had a choice. He could either abandon this creation and move on, or he could offer a perfect solution. A solution that we are, many of us are familiar with, and I think is put beautifully in Ephesians chapter 1. Read with me in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So God chose us to be perfect, to be blameless, to point back to a creator. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So he knew that we would become discontent. And so he had a plan set aside to adopt us back into his family. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So God created us perfectly to glorify him. Out of our discontent, we turned from him in shame. 
And he offered us a perfect solution that if you believe in me, if you enter into my family, you no longer need to be content in the things that you have and the things that you are, but instead you can be content in my identity, the creator of all of this. And you'll be redeemed from your sins to point others back to a creator. Many of us believe this true, problem, or true promise. But the problem is, is we don't believe it to a point that it allows us to point back to a creator. We believe it to the point that we feel good about it. We believe it to the point that it affects some of our actions. But the reality is, we have not become fully content in our identity in Christ. When I was a child, my dad would call my brothers and sisters and I into the family room, and we'd sit down after dinner, and he'd open up his books, and he'd read to us. Sometimes he'd read short books. Sometimes he'd read longer ones. But I remember my siblings and I's favorite book was The Hobbit. And he would open it up, and he would begin reading, and we would enter into a world far different from our own, a world of adventure, a world filled with magic and creations that we had never heard of, a world filled with valor and strength and courage. And we would sit on the edge of our seats and listen to every word of this story as we were taken through a journey in Middle Earth until suddenly it came to a close. And my dad would shut the book and say, all right, it's time to head up to bed. And of course, that was met by, dad, please, just one more chapter. Please, dad, can you keep reading just one more chapter? And my dad was smart, so he would sit there and he'd pause and he'd say, well, maybe I could read one more chapter if somebody would just scratch my head for a little while. And so we'd scramble to the back of the chair and we'd start scratching my dad's head. And sure enough, he would open the book back up and we would dive back into this adventure. The adventure would continue until inevitably again, the book was closed and we were ripped from this world that we loved. And we would again beg my dad, dad, just a few more pages, please, just a few more pages. I promise as long as we get to this point, then we'll go to bed. My dad would pause again and he'd say, Well, I could go for a little bit of trail mix right now, so maybe if you grab me some trail mix, we could keep going. And we'd scramble out to the kitchen, and we'd grab a bowl and a cup of water and bring it back, and he'd open up and begin reading again. And eventually, it would come to a point where we really did need to go to bed, and my dad would shut the book, and he'd say, all right now, this is the last time, let's head up. And you would think that we would go up happy with what we had heard and this great story and this time as a family, but you better believe we stomped our way up crying and whining about how unfair it was that we couldn't just go a little bit farther. We were discontent in what we had heard. We were discontent in the gift that my dad had given us by reading to us for sometimes hours at a time. And I'd like to believe that I've grown out of this discontent, but unfortunately, I think it has still stayed with me. And I think it might have stayed with some of us here as well. Many of us are discontent with the things that we have. Maybe we bought a car a few years back and it was a great car, a reliable car. It checked all the boxes for what we needed. 
But now, a few years later, our neighbors pulled in with a brand new car, and, and we kind of see ours as a little bit of junky now. And so we go and we start looking for a new one. Maybe we have an outfit that a year ago we used to put it on and think, wow, I look so good in this. But now a few too many people have seen us in it, and so we're embarrassed to wear it out. So we need to go get new clothes. Or maybe you're like me, and when you're bored, the only solution is more stuff. Just a couple of days ago, I was actually writing this message on being discontent, and I found myself checking my email, and in my email, I received a message from Groupon, and I started scrolling through the Groupon goods portion that's just filled with 50% off gadgets. And I was thinking to myself, what am I going to buy right now in this instant that will make me feel better about my night that will make me enjoy life a little bit more. And I caught myself and realized that it was exactly what I was talking about. We have so many things, yet something in us says we need more. Maybe some of us are discontent with our homes. Ten years ago, we bought the house of our dreams, the perfect house for our families. And now as the years have gone by, We're kind of behind the times on some of the updates. Now everyone has stainless steel kitchens and granite countertops. They have beautiful bathrooms. They have open concepts. And our house feels a little bit shabby. And so my wife and I always watch Home and Garden TV. And we see all these shows where they renovate things and they change things. And even though we're completely satisfied living where we live, part of us wishes we could make these changes, that we could make it uniquely ours, that we could make this better or that better. But the problem is, is that we continually see something new, something else that would surely make our home complete. Some of us are discontent in our jobs, discontent in our coworkers that irritate us, our bosses that frustrate us, We wish that if only I had a corner office or an extra zero on my paycheck, then I would be set and I would be ready to go. But we find that when we get those things, we still want something else. We live in this discontent all the while knowing that a majority of the world walks to work barefoot each day to earn less than a dollar to put rice on the table in their mud-thatched homes. Discontent is not recognizing that we don't have anything, but it's being blind to that as we pursue an identity in something more. And a foundation of discontent sets us aside from the creator that made us. And it takes creation and it points it back to us rather than pointing it to a creator. And when we are sitting in this discontent, we cannot make an impact for the Lord of our earth. Some of us are discontent in relationships. Maybe our children don't seem like our neighbor's kids. Maybe our spouse is frustrating us or irritating us, and that's causing our marriage to go through some problems. Maybe our parents are too strict, 
or our siblings are just trying to irritate us. I remember uh, my senior year of college, my girlfriend Brittany and I um, had dated three years. And we had reached a point in the relationship where everything that we did irritated the other. Everything that Brittany said, I could have sworn was just to frustrate me, just to throw a kink in my plan. And all of our friends were asking us, so when are you going to get married? Pete, when are you going to ask the question? And in my heart, what I was thinking is, how do I get out? How do I get away from this? And I remember one day thinking about that and thinking about how I would escape. And I decided to do something that drastically changed that relationship. For 30 days, I started a gratitude journal. And each of those days, I would write five things down about Brittany that I appreciated. And as I started the gratitude journal, nothing changed. I just wrote quick little things on a piece of paper. But as a week went by, I noticed that it started to shift how I viewed Brittany, how I viewed our relationship, and how I viewed who God had made her to be. Suddenly, I was no longer looking for the things that frustrated me, the things that would glorify me, but instead, I was seeing the things that she did well, the passions that she had, the gifts that she had been given, and in doing that, I was seeing the creator that had created her. It drastically changed our relationship, and it changed how I interacted with her as well. I wasn't quick to get angry. I slowed that down. I was, it was easier to give grace. It was easier to understand because now I was seeing a relationship through a totally different viewpoint because of one small habit that I had tested out. Discontent blinds us to what we have and to the creator that made us. When we live in discontent, we are denying the fact that Christ died for us so that we might be content in him. We are denying the fact that we have a creator as we try to take his creation and point it back to us so that we might be glorified. I want to read a passage today. It's 1 John 3.16. It's not the John 3.16 that we're all familiar with, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, but it's the other John 3.16. And after it paints a beautiful promise, it gives us quite a difficult challenge, which is probably why it hasn't been stuck on little plaques or bumper stickers. If you would open with me to 1 John 3.16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
This paints a very different picture. It says that God laid down his life so that we could claim his identity so that we would be able to lay down our lives. Notice that the verse doesn't say God laid down his life for us so that we might be able to lay down 10% of our lives for him. God laid down his entire life so that we might lay down our blessings before him so that they might point back to a creator. It is not enough to simply hear the words. We have to believe it in our hearts and we have to find our identity and contentment in our creator. And once we have done that, we can begin to shift how we use the blessings, the passions, and the talents that we have been given. In high school, I read a book called Under the Overpass. Under the Overpass was a phenomenal book about a privileged white college student. He was going to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. He had never needed anything in his life. He had been taken care of by great parents and a loving family. He had been involved in a phenomenal church and a great youth ministry. And now he was going to one of the top Christian schools in the country while living in gorgeous Santa Barbara, California. But he was discontent. And he did something radical to change that. He took a semester off of college, and for five months, he lived on the streets. He packed a backpack. He left his wallet and ID behind. He left his food and provisions behind. He packed a few pairs of clothes, his guitar, and a sleeping bag, and he took to the streets. And not just the streets of the cities that he had been in, but in completely new ones where he was a total stranger and had no idea. And it was amazing to see his perspective shift. Suddenly, conversations didn't just come with a smile. Instead, he would sit for hours before anyone would turn and talk to him. He couldn't just go to the pantry and grab a snack or go out for a meal with his family. Instead, he had to beg and play his guitar for hours just to make a couple dollars. The churches that he grew up in, the churches that he had surely been a leader in when he was inside their doors, now ignored him as he sat on the steps of their building. He had totally shifted what it meant to be content because he had given up the blessings that he had to try something totally new. And when he returned back from that trip, he wrote this book that has impacted hundreds of thousands of people across this country. He has had opportunities to meet with political leaders and discuss problems of homelessness. He's had chances to sit on the boards of large nonprofits and help advise them through a new perspective, through the perspective of the poor. He found himself content in what God had blessed him with, and because of that, he was able to lay his life down for others and make an impact for his Lord. 
he was able to go out and point God's creation back to their creator. This is one man. Imagine if we had a church filled with people content in their identity in Christ, willing to lay down their blessings before his feet so that they might point others back to their creator. I'm not sure what it looks like for you. It's going to be different, and I'm not suggesting that all of us go from here and pack our bags for a five-month homeless excursion. I don't think that would be very helpful or very useful. But I do want you to leave uncomfortable with your discontent and desiring to seek a solution. Maybe for some of us, we start one of those gratitude journals. Maybe it's not for a relationship. Maybe it's for our job. Maybe it's for the home that we have, the things that we have. Maybe it's for our children or for our parents. And we just start doing something simple that begins to shift how we see our own lives. And we can build from there. Maybe for some of us, it means leaving today and giving to a point that we're uncomfortable. Giving to a point where we recognize just how blessed we are. Giving to a point that others see us and are pointed back to a creator. For some of us, it means finding someone in this very church that doesn't have friends, that may be new, that hasn't clicked with the community yet, and inviting them over for a meal. Even though surely it's inconvenient and our schedules are busier than you would believe. Or maybe we don't cook the greatest ham as our neighbor does, and so we don't want to. We would be embarrassed. But we have a chance to point that couple or that family or that individual back towards their creator by blessing them with the small things that we have. It looks different for each and every one of us. But as we leave today, let us be uncomfortable with our discontent, uncomfortable with the fact that we are blind to our numerous blessings, that we see children around the world living in poverty, yet still we wish that we had something more for our home. We wish that we had a better car. And let us leave prepared to try to find our identity and our contentment in Christ. Because when we do that, we will be able to make a change in this church, in our communities, and in our country as we point others back to their creator. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you made a sacrifice for us, that you laid down your life for us so that we could find our identity in something much more than ourselves. Lord, that we could find our contentment in you, our Savior. Lord, we just pray that as you have blessed us so generously, Lord, that we would turn around and we would lay down our lives before others in such a way that they are pointed back to you, their God. Lord, let us just draw this community together in a powerful way, 
in a way that changes our schools, our neighborhoods, and our country. Lord, let us leave this place uncomfortable in our discontent, but hopeful for our contentment in you. In your name, amen.